My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential, where we get to have amazing conversations with amazing human beings in our ongoing quest to find that ineffable singularity that determines success and can predict it for any one of us. Today, we are joined by Jason Harris, uh, co-founder and CEO of the award-winning creative advertising agency, Mechanism, also author of the national best-selling book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Some of his advertising methods have actually been studied as case studies at Harvard Business School, and you can learn more about him at thesoulfulart.com. I was really, really pleased uh, with the conversation that I had with Jason. I went into it knowing that we were both, you know, had experience in marketing. We were both sort of, you know, had some professional overlap and some stuff in common, but I really did not know how much I was going to find myself delighting in really deep alignment over some concepts that you'll obviously hear us explore in the conversation, but particularly how entrepreneurship itself can be a forge for a person to discover what they're capable of and to continually challenge themselves to improve and up level. I'm confident you're going to find a lot of wonder in this conversation, and I invite you to enjoy my conversation with Jason Harris. Welcome, Jason Harris, to Unlock Your Potential. So glad you're here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, making the time and coming on the show. I'm always uh, excited to to share, you know, get into it with with a fellow entrepreneur, fellow agency owner, although I sold mine, uh, and a fellow a fellow marketer. Um, and I've read. Uh, let me. Let me sort of tee up. Obviously, you have a, a national best-selling book, The Soulful Art of Persuade, Persuasion. Um, I've read uh, several excerpts from it. I cannot say I've been able to get through the whole thing yet, but I fully intend to change that. But from what I've read, I can say right out of the gate that I think we're, we're very, very aligned in a lot of things. And I want to get into that. Um, you know, For the audience, I, I'm, I'm fully planning to, to steer this conversation through some really, really practical, tactical, applicable uh, marketing and business growth insights. Um, but before we do that, I want to I get to know our guest. So, um, Jason, if you could kind of start us at the beginning, you know, where are you from? What's your backstory? And how did you end up doing what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So, I grew up in Virginia, uh, outside of D.C. Both of my parents were uh, prof- um, professors. So they were, they were in the academic world. And, uh, I always learned, I, w- I was a musician, uh, for a while too. I know you were as well, but I always learned from, uh, kind of doing, and my parents were avid readers and teachers. And I always learned from like going out and experience things and being in the mix. And that's, that's the way that I learned versus, you know, putting my nose in a book, even though we're talking about a book that I wrote, uh, and I kind of um, always loved entertainment and I always loved branding. And I really learned a lot about branding from the band Kiss and the band Kiss really kind of uh, sparked with me the power that branding has because I, I joined the Kiss Army as a kid. I collected all their merchandise. I bought all their albums. I love the backstory of the demon and the star child and I just, you know, was really into uh, that 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 band, and somewhere in my consciousness, I, I realized that that was like storytelling and branding, and uh, so kind of Kiss led me into 
the advertising world because I loved the idea of like the power of building a brand. And so I went to school uh, to make my parents happy and, you know, got an econ degree. And then I, I wanted to go into the advertising world and learn about marketing and branding. And so I worked at a bunch of different uh, places, but I always had that, you know, maybe like a lot of your listeners, I always had that entrepreneurial like uh, gene inside me. I knew I wanted to start my own thing, but the way I went about it was uh, knowing that I wanted to start an agency. So that was like the, the end goal. The way I was going to do that was to work at uh, other places. And when I worked at all these places, I would take notes of like the culture and the values and what manager I liked and what manager I didn't like. And, and sort of, uh, that became when we started uh, the agency mechanism about 17 years ago. I I really looked at that as a playbook of the kind of company I wanted to start based on what I liked and didn't like at places that I had worked. And I that experience was really uh, invaluable to me versus just starting something uh, right off the bat. I wanted to get that experience and and learning the business and the trade before I started something. And then I started the agency with uh, three other friends of mine. And uh, yeah, we've been doing it ever since. 17 years. Yeah, um, 17 years. With Mechanism. Obviously, it's a it's an award-winning agency. It's done extremely well. You've been been recognized uh, both, you know, as a as a creative advertising innovator, but also as a CEO and, and business leader in that agency. Um, congratulations on on all your your success. Oh, thanks. That. I appreciate that. That's incredible. And the agency business is a tough business. I, I had one for almost six years and I, I sold it. And, and to be honest, when I sold it, I felt like, man, I, I barely made it out. Like I, like I made it out alive, you know? I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough business. Uh, where, was, where was your agency? Was it in? It was here in St. George. So okay. it, admittedly a very different, you know, this is not a big, really dynamic local business market. Although it's, it's certainly even in the last few years, it's changed and grown a lot. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I was having to do all of my customer acquisition through outbound phone sales. Um, you know, nobody ever came into my office to sit down and have a client meeting. Yeah. Uh, so may, maybe a little different dynamic than you being in, I assume your agency is based where you are in, in Manhattan. Uh, yeah, we, we started actually in San Francisco mm. and then I moved to Manhattan um, about 10 years ago. And we, so we now have New York office, San Francisco, Seattle, okay, and, and Chicago. So we kind of uh, expanded in the U.S. But uh, the ages, I mean, any business is hard, right? Like the starting any business is you're doing the invoicing and the pitching and the, you know, client management, and you're, you're kind of doing all aspects of it. But, um, it, you know, it, it kind of takes like, well, I don't know, probably took us about four years before we really got things rolling and you know, a lot of it was just perseverance and sticking with it and uh, knowing we, it was going to be lean when we started and uh, just kind of building it brick by brick. But it was a, uh, it was a, a long journey, um, you know, to kind of to get to where we are. And I actually, I actually sold the business in June. Um, we were been independent the whole time, but we sold it in June uh, in order really to, uh, we got it to about 50 million in revenue and we wanted to get it to a hundred million. And I didn't want to wait another 17 years to, to double it. So I wanted to get some strategic partnership 
but still stay on and, and run it. Um, so that, that was our plan. But yeah, the service business, the advertising business, it's super hyper competitive. Uh, the, the money can be good. The clients can be good, but you really, you know, have to have a thick skin and just kind of keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. It's a very, it's a, and it's a very, what have you done for me lately business? You don't, you don't get a lot of credit for what you did last year. No, you've got to, you've got to build, build the brands. Uh, that you're working on, you have to kind of do two things. You got to build the brands into really dynamic, powerful brands. And then at the same time, you have like long-term goals with your brand partners and then short-term goals. You got to convert sales and drive revenue and keep their shareholders happy. So you're kind of doing all those things at the same time, you know, so- short-term, long-term. That, that, you know, first of all, I know that a large percentage of the audience um, is is either building a business or, or, you know, in the in the early stage of building a business. We talked about this earlier, kind of the audience mix. Right. Um, a lot of people that are, are kind of kicking off their business growth endeavors. Some people have more mature businesses that are really trying to grow it. Um, so I'm excited to, you know, dig in a little more to lessons learned and, um, you know, again, tactical, applicable stuff from, from scaling to a $50 million, you know, revenue rate, that, that's, that's pretty rarefied error for an independent agency. Yeah. We got, we, we got pretty, uh, pretty lucky and, and got to a nice size. What do you, what do you attribute that to? What, what is it that you guys do better than most? Well, we, uh, our positioning is soul and science and it's really about creative plus performance. And so we, one thing we do as a company is we always look at where the market's going and we always pivot the company and evolve the company. And, you know, you hear that in business all the time, you know, evolve or die. We always hear that analogy that we always use, like if a shark stops swimming, it, it's right. dead. And so you always got to be swimming like a shark and figuring out what's next. And so when we started the agency, we did a lot of uh, digital production. So digital was kind of nascent and new at the time. And and that was our point of difference. Then viral marketing was big. So we did a lot of viral marketing. Uh, Then we added on services and became a full service agency. And then uh, in the past couple of years, we added on performance because everything now is performance-based and you have to measure all your activity in the market so you can show data Mm -hmm. on how you're doing and how your conversion's going. Are you getting, you know, driving... Uh, clicks to their website? Are you getting uh, customers to to purchase? And so we're we're evolving now to do full funnel services, which is offering everything from you know CRM to one to one to loyalty. While we're also we 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 built the business on being kind of top of the funnel strategy and creative and brand uh, as a business. And so that that's just one thing that's been really successful for us is. We always look to our clients to see what they need from us. And then we we add those services and change uh, along with what our clients' needs are versus getting becoming successful and then stopping or saying, mm-hmm. we you know, this formula works. So why would we change it? We're always evolving every couple of years. How how many uh employees or or, or total head total kind of essential headcount, whether they're employees or contractors or, you know, key strategic vendors, like how many people does it take to make the mechanism ecosystem run? 
we have about 200 full-time okay. employees and then we have uh, you know freelancers and partners mm-hmm. so you so you're about the same about the same size as as entre we have i think just under 200 full-time headcount and so i'm asking out of a lot of self-interest not just you know for the audience's benefit um you you said it, you said it took four years when you started to kind of get get some tra- you know call it traction right and yeah, you said yeah. figure it out uh, and that was you and you said three friends yeah so I had started a business prior uh, and it was me and then I had a partner who was uh, based in another city and I was uh, I was kind of doing you know five jobs and and that first year I burned out like I absolutely hated it even though we were doing okay my whole waking hour was you know every every hour was put into the business and yeah. i was doing everything and i i got really crispy on that and um when i when i synced up with some some friends to do it you know together and we had different skills as we came together to me that was the magic because uh, having other people to bounce things off of not being a solopreneur, which I need some people love. It wasn't for me. I had to have partners to be a successful entrepreneur because I was, uh, it was just too, too much anxiety for me to do it by myself. And, and there's too many things I didn't know and too many blind spots I had. So when we came together, um, we, we really, you know, found something special, but the magic that that helped us become successful is we sort of had a plan and some insights. Uh, you know, my business is different than probably a lot of people that are listening and, and different than your business. But our plan was, you know, we started with, uh, we have seven values that we still have today. We kept those values. Those values are a filter for future hires, for people that we have, for um, really the way the company was going to build its culture. And we haven't really deviated from those values. So that was one thing that was really important. And then the other is we wanted to get big name clients. So we work with, you know, today, Charles Schwab, Alaska Airlines, Jose Cuervo, Fanatics, big brands, like really name Mm -hmm. brands. And that was our strategy. And so when we started, we would do some lesser known brands that would come to us because we were inexpensive and we were small and we would then pitch big brands ideas that we would, you know, cold call and go in and pitch them ideas. And if they like the idea, we say, okay, we'll make the idea for you. And then if you like it, you can run it and maybe you can cover our costs if you like it. And the, the, the magic of that was getting famous brands and clients on our roster and then we would that would beget bigger clients and 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 well-known brands that would then pay us. And mm-hmm. so we kind of did basically I call it like you know free free work to get the logos. Yeah. And when we got the logos, then we got more credibility and then we got, you know, into bigger pitches and bigger brands and that was part of our strategy. So the first few years were just, you know, lean and and, you know, not paying ourselves and sometimes paying ourselves, but we didn't have staff to really worry about at the time. Uh, and that was our strategy. And it, it it took a while, but then it started to build momentum once we got, you know, some famous brands that we did some work on. 
So uh, you you sort of naturally answered the what was going to be my follow up question based on you know the early days and the success that you've had since, and that was going to be you know what is it that you feel like you you did a good job of installing into the company in its early days that that became a very stable foundation upon which you could grow without you know cracking under the weight of growth yeah. and it's and you yeah. kind of answered it you said it's these these values that you really yeah. were a very value centric company um you know i think a lot of lip service gets paid to you know mission and vision and values and and um I have found that especially for non-venture backed, well-funded startups, companies that have to have to grow by virtue of making a legitimate mark and people being interested and wanting to pay attention, not just because they can brute force their way into the market with a big advertising budget that's you know paid for by investors, that you have to really be, you have to be sincere about values and what you stand for. Yeah. Um, and that's, it seems like that, that ties in with your, you know, soul plus science. I mean, essentially what we're talking about is the soul. So can you talk a little bit more maybe uh, at how about, you know, sure. When it's you and, and three partners that are, you know, founders, co-founders, like, yeah, you're, you can all be on the same page and that, that has a nice, you know, casual feel to it. But like, as you started to scale, how did you make sure like, what was your people strategy to make sure that like we're bringing on people that are really aligned and we're holding people accountable over time to really be expressing these values through the work that they're doing here? Yeah. So it was it was very, um, you know, particular. And we the people that work here, we call them creative entrepreneurs. And that is the, mm. the sort of framework of the people that we look to hire. And so some of those values, I'll just rattle them off, but uh, optimistic, uh, realistic, fearless, weird, collaborative, uh, and entrepreneurial. And so those are the values that we really instilled. And that is who we look to hire. We look to hire these creative entrepreneurs and we actually judge today our performance reviews are based on these values like how well the people at the company uphold these values and we put them in our creds materials when we meet with any client we talk about them at every company meeting like people are probably so sick of these values by now but they can recite them yeah and they and they know what they are and they and it's a real good filter for not just the people we hire but the clients we want to take on because they know what our dna is and what we expect. And we expect when people are working here, they're going to be super collaborative internally. They're going to be super collaborative with our clients. We want them to be weird, which is really bring your full self to the office. You know, we want all your personality. We want your opinion. We don't want you to conform. We don't want your, you know, real personality out in the world and then your work personality here at the office. And so, uh, you know, that that's an, an important one. And then optimistic is just we expect people to, you know, try to find the opportunities and, and approach every challenge with uh, uh, a positive outlook and what we can accomplish. And so, you know, we when we see hires that we've made that are really um, 
I people or egocentric or want to step on someone else to move up the organization, we, you know, we, we cut them out and we're very clear. We're very transparent. This is what we expect. This is the culture we're building. This is how we're going to act. And we need you to, to, you know, this is, if this suits you, it's the right culture for you. This is, this is our expectation. And I think a lot of people, a lot of companies skip that step. They think culture will just sort of magically happen or that there'll be so such an inspirational leader that, you know, culture will carry through the organization, but you need to set yourself up for growth from the beginning, really know the values that you care about and that your clients will care about and write them down, you know, preach them, repeat them, live them. And those values help you build a strong organization. But a lot of people skip that step and either don't write them down or, maybe get too esoteric about them. And I think that that was really an important thing in our success to do that at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I, no, I, I really, uh, I really appreciate that. You know, one of the, I think the book I've read so many books in the last couple of years, specifically around business leadership and growth, because we've been scaling my business and I'm like, Oh, I need to get better at this. Right. So I, I probably read a hundred books in the last three years about scaling businesses so what was the best one you've read? I'm trying to remember what it what it was. Um, well, the one that's coming to mind right now, because I think that it's the source of what I'm about to say is called Less is More by Jason Jennings. But um, gosh, best one I've read. You know, there's one I'm actually listening to right now that is called um, Outsiders. I mean, I listen to a lot of stuff and I tend to apply it a lot to business, but Outsiders is actually a study of eight different great CEOs that that wildly outperformed their industry and their category and, and especially did so over time spans that were long enough that like they weren't just bull markets, you know? Right, right, right. They didn't and, just uh, the sweet times. They had the yeah, yeah. Yeah, fa- fantastic book. Um a lot of really like sort of value, value centrism, you know, just how to play the long game and really, really create value and focus on, you know, intelligent allocation of capital over time and just basically how to, how to do business right and not be sort of short-term short-sighted. Um, but, uh, but anyways, uh, the book I'm thinking of right now, less is more. One of the things it said is that as a CEO, you know, that you're doing your job, when people basically roll roll their eyes every time you talk because you're such a broken record about the mission and the values and the heartbeat and the soul and the and the message and like all the stuff that everybody's like okay Jason we got it already man but like the, you know human beings by by nature and by environment are, we just we drift it's just what happens we lose yeah. focus and and the CEOs the constant North star reorienter to the singularity that of, of what is true for an organization. And it's an endless to some degree, thankless job that will never really fully be appreciated, but it, it, you are doomed without your, you, you know, do somewhere between doomed or at least pay a massive opportunity cost. If you don't do it consistently, persistently and obsessively. So absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. 
Uh, I'm going to have to read that book too. Less is more. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. Who wrote, who wrote it? Who wrote it? Did you say? Jennings. Okay. Yeah. I read it a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Entra, we, we had a year where we, we scaled like, cause we, we just kind of hit a vein and we're purely digital. So we, we have relatively frictionless scale, at least to a point. And we scaled like 4,000% in 12 months. Oh my God. That's amazing. And uh, I was like, I, I was like, reading everything I get my hands on around like, you know, managing growth. And um, anyways, it's kind of an intense, intense period. We, we've, we've, I, I can say from hindsight that some people may think that sounds amazing. Like, Oh, I'd love to, I'd love to be 40 times bigger a year from now than I am now. I, I promise you, like it was not super healthy. It's like, it's like, it'd be like having a five-year-old that was like six foot six. <laughs> and they're like, there's a lot of filling out that needs to happen. Right? I love that. I love that. That's, um, that's great. Anyway. So, okay. I, I appreciate, I mean, I can, I can say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go ahead and attribute that a lot of your success over 17 years stems from this sort of obsessive installation of these values in the earliest days. I, I assume you'd agree with that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's why uh, that's sort of like one of three things that I think really helped us weather uh, the business world and downturns and come out on the other side of it. What are the other two then? You, you probably knew. Well, I was I, well yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the other one, which I mentioned was uh, on building the business was for us was proactively going after who we wanted to work with mm -hmm. and not just work that would come or work that was low hanging fruit, but really, dead set on the, we need, we need to get in this field of brands for our business to really explode. And then the third was uh, constantly evolving the business. I mean, and there's people that have been at the company for, you know, early days, like 12 years, 13 years um, that are in leadership positions at the company. And, you know, you, you get everyone aligned to constant, change. And I don't mean constant change, but like three or four years, you're changing your business model to the market and never being satisfied with where you're at. And that I think those that's the other thing that that really made a difference is uh, thinking, you know, you have to decipher like what's real that's happening around me and in the marketing world or in the business world. And what are we going to change and add you know, are we going to start thinking about NFTs? Are we going to start thinking about the metaverse? Are we going to start thinking about whatever the new thing is? Because there's always something changing. What do we think is here to stay? And how are we going to orient the business around that? And so that practice uh, has proven to be really valuable in order for us to, you know, not become a dinosaur and to have longevity. So why, when, and why did you write your book? So I wrote my book uh, a couple of years ago, it came out and it took me three years to write. So as I was. Only you know, three. My, yeah, my, uh, mine took like four or five, depending how you quantify it. I, I mean, I thought three was a long time, but uh, you know, you're writing a business and then your side hustles, right. you know, writing a book. And I would, um, it really came from a lot of what we've been talking about, but it was a lot of personal experience on as an entrepreneur 
And it's a bit of a entrepreneur guidebook. It's like uh, how to win friends and influence people, but kind of a modern version of that. What I found to be successful for anyone in the business world, and it's also about character building. So it can be it can be a personal um, book as well. But I really felt that personally, I had four principles that I found to to create a successful business. And that's different than company values because those company values would change when you start another different company, you would have mm-hmm. different values because it's based on that, that entity. But there's four principles that I think are enduring for any business, uh, for any leader. And then, you know, their character building uh, personally as well. And so I found these principles for me, helped me become, uh, you know, successful in the business world. And um, that's sort of, I felt like I had something to offer in writing a book. Cause as you know, books are a ton of work. You're, you're not getting rich writing a book unless you're, you know, Barack Obama or, you know, someone. Unless you're already rich and people want to read about it. Yeah. yeah, Unless unless you get, you know, million dollar book deals and, Mm -hmm. and they, they, you know, you're a celebrity or whatever, but for the rest of us, uh, it's very hard to think about it as a business proposition. I thought about it much more as a, um, I, you know, I, it was something I wanted to accomplish, but I also felt like I had a lot of learning that I could, I could give to people uh, that are, you know, in the business mind, business world or uh, working on how do they become more persuasive? How do they become more successful? And so I felt like I had something to a point of view, specific point of view. Yeah, I feel like a, a book. I, I can say for me, it's been a it's been a great business card. It's been a great door opener. Um, you know, there's some, I guess, some credibility I, that, that you would say that comes from it. But I think the thing that I liked the most is, about writing a book, and I'm curious how you relate to this this experience, is that it forced me to deal with myself. Yeah. Um, and 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 deal, you know, to to really truly get over any, any sort of lingering imposter syndrome and also to really decide what my standards are. I mean, writing, here's what, here's what I decided. Even writing a bad book would be a lot of work, but writing a good book would be a lot more work still. And within that range, yeah. What a book do I, do I, am I willing to do the work to write? What is my true standard? Because a book is going to literally out. It's like the one thing that we create as as workers or creators or doers that's actually going to outlive us other than our business itself, maybe. But most businesses probably don't you know, live 100 years, but right. a book does. Right. And so I'm curious, you know, for me, it, it was a forge in which to sharpen myself. And I'm curious. So your book just came out recently, right? Uh, gosh, yeah, August. So about four months. And so your book also matches, I mean, it's the, the name of the podcast, right? It is unlock your potential. Yeah. You and got a so picture it's, on the wall right there. Yeah. So it's sort of the same as the podcast and the same as what you're offering, uh, in, in your company. Right. So it's kind of, it's all, it's all one, would you say? Yeah, or? I'd, I'd say uh, to some degree, it's certain. Yeah. I would say it's a business card of my personal brand that I, I exist in this world to help people unlock their their potential 
in a way that's distinct from, let's call it the personal development or even or professional development industry for that matter, where it's like, here's some more stuff to do. Here's some hard work to, to, to grind on, to level yourself up. I, I'm really seeking frameworks and heuristics and things that people can orient around that actually make life easier yeah. and make it easier to get better and, and unlock your potential in the process. And, and I, I feel this conversation going in a, in a really exciting direction that I, I'm grateful for because I feel like we're very aligned. And when I hear you talk about your book and your, even your belief set that underpins your book and your business, I hear a lot of alignment, which is that entrepreneurship or what I call entrepreneurialism, which is the being as opposed to the doing of, of, of entrepreneurship, is, is a wonderful uh, mechanism, no pun intended, for developing ourselves as human beings. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I think a lot of people have kind of reductively categorized entrepreneurship as like purely like a financial or economic strategy. Like, oh, I'm going to, I can have more a, a different financial outcome, or I can increase the value of my time, or I can be become become more prominent or more authoritative. Like there's a lot of, like you said, kind of eye-centric reasons for doing it. But but I have found it to be the forge in which you can develop yourself to be of the greatest value and impact for the world at large. And that's what I'm so passionate about it. And I believe entrepreneurship is a, is a, a great crucible in which to unlock your potential. It's kind of how it all comes together. I get the sense you're aligned there. Absolutely. I love that. I love the, I love the use of crucible too. Um, and, and, and I feel like in your book, you sound, you, you said that there's, there's four values that, that transcends any business case. Yeah, definitely. You know, every new company will have new, co new company values, but these four values are really about the entrepreneur, not the business. That's right. They're about can you the, share? Can we can we dig into them? Because obviously yeah, they were absolutely. they were they were important enough to you that you wrote a book about them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're you know they're character building habits that are essential to personal growth, but also business success. So it is about the individual for sure. And I think these principles, and uh, like like you were describing in your book, I wanted to talk about these principles, but then have specific habits you can practice to make sure you're you're kind of living these principles. So it's not just like, here are the principles, good luck. It's right. like, here are the principles and here's the way you can develop uh, these, these characteristics. And so that was the idea. So what, what are the, what are the four? We probably won't have time to talk through them all in depth, but I'd love to. Yeah, start I can give you like a top, top line, but the first principle is, uh, called original. And that is, you know, from the Oscar Wilde quote, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. It's really about where, wearing your personal idiosyncrasies on your sleeve. It's about understanding who your role models are. Uh, it's understanding your core values, but it's really understanding who you are. And that is like the, the building blocks of everything. And um, part of that is, is learning to be a great storyteller um to connect with your audience or to whoever you're trying to connect with and transporting people through storytelling and storytelling can take many different forms and shapes but that's sort of the 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 foundational principle and i think uh, a lot of people 
don't take the time to understand what makes them special and unique. And I'm sure in Unlock Your Potential, you talk a lot about that, but but that is uh, foundational. And then the second one is the principle two is generous, which is really cultivating a generous characteristic and personality. And, you know, I think uh, one, one thing I always think about in that that one is trying to give something away in every interaction. So whenever you're cross paths with someone, leave the person a little bit better off than they were before they cross paths with you. And so, of course, this is not always going to happen, but it's a mindset of trying to lay the groundwork for becoming generous and becoming positive and showing respect. Third principle is empathetic. And that's really uh, developing a natural curiosity about other people and listening more than you're judging and seeking to understand, seeking out collaborations, looking for commonalities, not differences. And that's, that's principle three. And then the fourth one is soulful, which is about uh, living a skillful life, hunting out new skills, uh, developing passions, creating a life defined by proficiency. And, and the other part of that is being inspirational, trying to do something bigger than yourself to help, you know, uh, make the world a little bit better. And so those four principles together are, you know, original, uh, leaning into your own authenticity and honesty about who you are, generous, being habitual about giving and not expecting things in return, empathetic, developing a natural curiosity about engaging others. And then soulful is really, um, you know, holding yourself to these, to these standards of, of always learning and trying to, to inspire. And those four Mm -hmm. are are the 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 real cornerstones of becoming a more persuasive uh soulfully persuasive person so i have to show you you started with original and you mentioned the oscar wilde quote this is the very last page of my book uh unlock your potential if you're not on video just take my word for it and at the very end of the book can you see the quote that i ended with oh my god no way be yourself. Everyone uh, else is taken. Oscar Wilde. I love that. Yeah. That's all right. Um, you also talked. I, I'm again. I'm hearing so, so much. That's music. your. That's the end of your book, and that's the first thing in my book. That's crazy. Which that's is so crazy. Cool. I know. Yeah, that really is. Well, and and and, but it's but the re, but here's the thing. It's actually not crazy because it is a deep truth of modern entrepreneurship. Now, to be clear, a hundred years ago. That was perhaps not the formula for successful entrepreneurship. I don't think, um, it, well, I say that, I mean, you know, I, I guess one could argue Nikola Tesla, for example, would have been a more successful entrepreneur if he had been a little less himself because he was so idiosyncratic that he basically got disdained at the time. And Thomas Edison beat him in part just by playing the game a little better and being right. a little yeah. less quirky, right? So like the world has- Be, be more, more political. You know? Yeah. And I think this is yeah. a wonderful evolution is that we actually live in a world now where weirdness, I love that you, you locked on that term weird, which yeah. comes from the old English weird, which means the ability to foretell and create a different destiny or a different future. They used to burn people at the stake who were weird because they thought that they controlled the future. 
But isn't that what everybody wants now is to create a different future for themselves? Like, you know, so we live in a world now where being weird and being idiosyncratic and being original is uh, is is a is an asset. It's a strength. And you you talk in your book about David Bowie. Harkening to your musician origins doesn't get much weirder than that. And the guy, you know, to your point, literally without David Bowie, there's no U2, you said. There's no Lady Gaga. I mean, this is, this right. is trailblazing innovation and really brilliant entrepreneurship. So my David Bowie story uh, that I do talk about in the book, which uh, David Bowie also for me was when I talk about being original, this is why I think role models are, are so important, is uh, I was a big David Bowie fan. I still am. But he... He was so weird and so quirky and always changed characters and, you know, did really just did his own thing. And that's what made him popular because he was so unique and stood out. And when he started his career, his first album, which I actually have behind me, uh, which is very hard to find, he got a record label and they wanted him to sound just like Bob Dylan and play folk music because that's what was popular at the time. And so it was, it was, it's not a good album. It's copycat music. The album did not do well. Like it, it failed and he fired his label and then went away on a sort of sojourn to discover himself. And, you know, went to a, uh, a, a, a Buddhist monastery <laughs> He like experimented with different art forms. He studied dance. He did all kinds of things to really get to know himself. And then when he came back, he came back as the David Bowie we know today and started lighting the music world on fire because his music came from his heart and it came from who he really was. And that's when he took off. And and that juxtaposition is just so clear uh, as a metaphor for anyone who is thinking about their business or their hustle or whatever they want to create by leaning into his traits and who he was and his authenticity. That's what the world found interesting. And it wasn't, Oh, we need another Bob Dylan. It's that yeah, we, and to be we clear, needed his, David Bowie. This yeah. was the album that had, I mean, space oddity. Yeah. Which exactly. is like one of my all time favorite songs. And it's weird. I mean, it's out there. It's out there, man. And and you think about, uh, you know, I mean, contemporaries, Pink Floyd stuff is weird, man. Like, you know, and and I think that. So I'm I'm curious when you when you work with young. I love that you're calling out Space Oddity. It's such a good. Oh, it's so good. Such a departure from from his. self-titled album but yeah it, mm-hmm. it's really really out there it's yeah it, it but i mean it, it's you know you have to take a chance I, I interviewed somebody yesterday here on the show brilliant guy dr ian mcgilchrist this like uh, almost almost uh caricature-esque like english professor type he's you know he's got the beard the white beard and he lives on isle of sky scotland and he you know, no lives way. this That's very awesome. bucolic, isolated life where he writes these 800 page books that are like transcendently amazing and academically rigorous. And anyway, but he was talking about how society has developed 
a pathological risk aversion. And the reality is, and he was saying, it's so silly because we're all playing the same game and it always ends in death. And the notion of being risk averse is to say, let me simply make the time before I ultimately fail at life, i.e. die. Let me also make it dull and intolerable. Is to, I mean, that is to be risk averse. He's like, it's so silly to be so freaking risk averse. And the reality is that the most intrinsically risky thing on this earth is simply to be ourselves in it. I love that. And that people are so terrified. Like, imagine if David Bowie had been like, deep inside, I feel this flamboyant, you know, bizarre, quasi-alien-esque persona, and it just wants to get out. But I'm so scared. They might not like me. Let me right. not take the risk. And then he would have just sucked the rest of his life. So and that's true. what most people do. Yes. I love that. So, so how do you, I'm curious. I always love this also. I don't, it made me think of it. Um, the, in the NFL, you know, fourth, or, I don't know if you're a football fan, but fourth and one conversion rate uh, for those that try it is 70%. Really? And, oh, I love knowing and, that. I didn't and, know that. And so if you think of how often you punt on a fourth and one, because you're scared of making a mistake, you know, or, or making it. And it's really the coach. The coach is scared of getting eviscerated in the media or fired. That's really what they're afraid of. They're not afraid of the outcome. Cause like you said, the outcome's probably good. The outcome's very high, but the, the, and I don't know, I wish I, I should have the accompanying stat of how many times they go for fourth and one, but I know from watching football, it's not, not that, not as frequent as it should be. And so uh, I love that. It's like, uh, I love the what was the guy's name in the uh, Isle Sky? Oh, uh, the Dr. Ian McGilchrist. Yeah, Ian McGilchrist. I love that because he's 100% right. Risk taking is a lot less risky than it sounds because being ri- risk averse is riskier than, than, than leaning into risk because. To stand out and be successful, you have to be risky or you're going to just become wallpaper. And that's the David Bowie principle. So I Googled it while you were talking. Okay. NFL teams go for it on fourth and one about 20% of the time. There you go. And uh, there are certain coaches like, uh, and it mentions Bill Belichick, who has developed a reputation as, and I'm reading this article on uh, on Bleacher Report here, like I said, that I just pulled up while you were talking. And it talks about Bill Belichick having a reputation as a maverick, as a gambler, who's, and it, and it's using this language, who tosses caution to the wind and goes for it on fourth down more often than his coaching colleagues. He still only goes for it less than 50% of the time, but it's more than twice as much as the average. And you're thinking, yeah, but that's because he's Bill Belichick. It's not because he's although he is perhaps a brilliantly strategic coach, but he's not going for it more on fourth and one because he's a brilliantly strategic coach who quantitatively sees things that other coaches don't see. He does it because he's freaking Bill Belichick and he knows that he's less likely to be, you know, criticized or fired. Bob Kraft isn't going to fire Bill Belichick because he blew it on a fourth and one call. It's his, it's his, it's his willingness to just be himself to, that makes him look weird, but it's actually just him doing the logical thing. And other, so other coaches, it's not because they're not as smart as him. It's because they're not as secure as him. That's right. I love that. 
That's that's a great analogy. And uh, and so, you know, I mean, you can you can hear I'm getting like fired up talking about this because I'm in the entrepreneurial development business. I help people. You know, my book is called The Ultimate Guide for Creating Your Dream Life in the Modern World, because my point is there is a life out there that virtually anyone can go get if they'll just be themselves and be bold enough to go get it. That's like right. the modern world, there's so much opportunity. And yet most people are, are too indoctrinated into one path to go get it. And I'm I, think, I, I think but, there's a, I think it's the, it's easy to go get it. It's easier to go get it because the majority, you know, the majority of the world won't. Right. And that's why it opens up. And that's why, you know, Bill Belichick looks, does he look like a genius? Cause he goes from fourth and one and, and successfully completes it. Or does he look like a genius because he's doing the smart thing? You know, is, is he right. Bill Belichick and then he can go for fourth and one, or does he become Bill Belichick? Cause he makes these calls that appear risky, but they're have a 30% chance of not making it 70% chance of making it he's going to have a better chance of, of making it than not. Same thing with like the world out there. It's easier for people that will take risks because so many people won't. So well, that and opens, you've, opens it up. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and I talk a lot about the difference between math-made odds and man-made odds. Like, yes, mathematically, certain things may be statistically improbable or risky or whatnot, but that's just the math. The reality is, if you're willing to consistently get up and rigorously apply yourself in your soulfulness, for example, yeah. in that category, you talk about skill hunting and how when people are recognized as being, you know, uh, superlatively skilled at a thing, then it gives them gravitas across many other things too, right? This is why celebrity, you know, let's say actors weighing in on political opinions actually can sway votes because even though they're completely unqualified to talk about politics, the simple fact that you know that they're skilled at one thing gives them authority in another thing. Right. And so I mean, that's of, why, that's why Herschel Walker can almost win almost, in Georgia because exactly, it's, it's exactly. Herschel Walker. You're like, well, this guy is proficient. He was a great football player. Uh, he, anything he puts his mind to, he could be great at. So, and that's so you why, know, certain things about him that's because right, he was that's great right. at one thing. And what do you know about him? He's consistent. He's hardworking. He's he's disciplined. He's he's got a certain amount of self mastery. That's right. Um, and so my my point is the distinction between man made math made odds and man made odds is that simply by developing to your point character traits and embodying them over time, you distinguish yourself from the math. The math becomes irrelevant because, like you said, ninety five percent of people. They're not even playing the same game as you once you've done something consistently and daily for 10 years. That's right. And the math becomes actually the math will be in your favor. I mean, if you wanted to crunch numbers and do the data, the math's going to be in your favor. And so the math even is going to tell you it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Once you embody good trait, good character traits over time, the math swings in your favor. And once you are proficient at those skills. Yeah. You know, you have to have that expertise. 
and and learn that expertise. Hey there, sorry to interrupt the show, but I just have a quick favor to ask. So we recently broke into the top 100 podcasts in the entrepreneurship category. We've been hovering around 75 and we're really trying to push up into like the top 20 and grow the impact of the show. So if you enjoy what we do here and you're a supporter, the biggest thing you could do to help would be to leave us a positive review. Uh, Whatever platform you're listening on, you should be able to leave a quick review. Let the world know what you like about the show. Thank you so much for your time and uh, let's get back to it. I have a question for you that I always wrestle with. Okay. I, I think this conversation's super interesting. How, what happens when people, because sometimes people go for it and they're risky and maybe they learn a skill and they're, you know, hustling, they're hardworking, they're not lazy, they're putting their, their time and energy into it, but they have an idea that is just not a good idea. Like they launch something that just isn't sticking. It's mm-hmm. just not a good idea, no matter what they put behind it, how badly they want it, how much risk they have put into it. There is some ideas just don't work. You know, some combination of talent just might not work. Some some things just don't happen. How do you advise people when that's the case? What would you say in, in a situation like that? Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, you mentioned empathy. Yeah. You know, empathy, I think empathy strongly correlates to growth. You know, in, in psychology, they talk about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And, and to me, it's the ability to really receive feedback from your environment, you know, if it, and, and, and ask the deeper question of why, why am I in business? Why am I attached to this idea? Right. If I'm attached to an idea that is not landing and not working, and I am getting feedback to that effect, then one could argue that there is a a great amount of ego in trying to insist that it's a good idea and that the rest of the world is wrong and they just need to get it. Yeah. Right? With If you're getting feedback from people, and and there's a fine line, right, between... You know, it, to try to understand why isn't this working, and, and I'll use myself as an example because now that I'm I've, now that I've said that, I have to I have to sort of place myself under the same analysis that like, you know, I'm out there saying to the world there is an opportunity for a life less ordinary, uh, a different level of fulfillment than than maybe the more traditional path. If you're going to be if you're going to open yourself up to some risk, you're going to learn some of the right skills. And you're going to embrace the more entrepreneurial way of being in the world, right? I get many, many people that resist or reject that message. And frankly, when I started four and a half years ago, almost four and a half years ago, almost everybody resisted that message. And they just rejected me because it's like, who is this knucklehead that just appeared in my feed with some self-declared authority and he's annoying, right? And that's like the hater thing. Like, you know, human nature will bully you if they if they perceive you as weak or small. That's just human nature, right? Yeah. And so when you start out with a thing, I think there is an important ability to parse. Am I getting rejected because I'm perceived as small? And by the way, if you're small and unproven, you have to understand the risk that you are asking someone else to take just by agreeing or aligning with you. That's right. 
and recognize that sometimes their rejection of you could just be their own risk aversion, not necessarily because it's a bad idea. Yep. Right. So I think that's the first critical lens you have to develop some, 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 you know, perspective on. But then if you, if you've done it consistently enough and you've been steady enough and people have recognized in you that I know that you've read Cialdini because you reference it in your book, that commitment and consistency principle that like, Hey, this person is steadfast in what they're saying. And I still reject their idea. Once you start getting that feedback, I think you have to be humble enough to say, if my aim is to serve people and this idea isn't serving them, then like it becomes a, it becomes a question of ego to persist. I love that. I think you answered it very succinctly. Cause I think if people aren't, if they're not willing to give you a shot in whatever business you're doing, it's incumbent on you to do kind of two things. One, how do you lower the risk for them? Mm. So it's less risky. Which which you guys did in your early days by giving it away. Which is how we started. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, it's going to be risky for you to work with an unknown entity. I'm going to take that risk out and we're going to prove ourselves. And if it's successful, you'll run that work and then you'll probably hire us for more work. And Mm -hmm. that's how we lowered the risk. So lowering the risk uh, for the other party and then listening to the feedback. So if we lowered the risk, then we went back with an idea and it was garbage, listening to the feedback of why it was garbage. And so we can, we can uh, take that into change versus, you know, I lowered the risk. I know this is a great idea. They, they, they just didn't like it, which also happens. But if you're hearing that feedback consistently, you have to listen to that feedback. That's part of, of the empathetic principle. And then the, the, the other thing is uh, which we talked about at the beginning of the of the conversation is always changing. So if you're hearing that feedback and you're under you're hearing from your audience or your consumer, or your client, what their needs are, you are going to be strong enough, not let your ego get in their way, but be strong enough to m- mold and change your idea to the market conditions you're seeing so that you're offering something that is relevant to who you're selling to. Mm-hmm. And so I think adapting, you know, taking out thinking about how you lower the risk, how do you listen to the feedback and how do you evolve? Those are all traits of if you have a good idea making it a long-lasting idea. Like how mm-hmm. do you make how do you make it sticky? Um and so that I think a lot of like I think we would have gone out of business probably four times if we weren't evolving. Yeah. Well, that's, that's true of every successful entrepreneur with longevity. I have to imagine it's certainly been true for me. Yeah. For it's sure. by the way, sometimes I do go out of business and then I, I rebirth. I mean, I've had, you know, I had an agency, I guess I sold my agency. That was fine. But I mean, I, prior to that, or, or actually during that, I had a direct sales offer that I created online that in a year it grew to about a million dollars a month. And in another year, it, fell off 95%. And wow. I didn't, I mean, literally went from a million a month to 50 grand a month. And by the way, about a $200,000 a month burn rate. So at 50 grand a month in revenue and $200,000 a month in burn, that was a, a, a pretty scary equation. But like, that doesn't mean I'm a failure. 
No, you know, from the ashes of that, what my entrepreneurial education platform was born. But like, so, so this actually goes to the next question that I want to ask you. And by the way, do you have time for one more question? I think we're technically over time, but yeah, yeah, I do. I I appreciate that. Um, You know, underneath this cycle of feedback and adaptation or even outright death and rebirth, like whatever underneath it, there has to be a foundational confidence in oneself that first of all, my idea is not my identity. If the idea doesn't work, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm a failure, you know, or that I'm fundamentally flawed and incapable of success. Um, but so, so I'll use in your case. But those thoughts will run through your mind. They will. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm in your case, you know, you're going to taking the risk of working with these, these established brands, that risk is only worth taking or it's only justifiable if deep down you believe I am capable of producing a winning idea that these brands will like. And even if they don't like the first one, they'll like the, maybe they'll like the next one or the next one. But eventually there's something in me that is intrinsically good enough to produce something that eventually they will like. Otherwise, this risk makes no sense. That's right. So, so I'm curious, A, where do you feel like that call it fundamental confidence came from and B how do you try to coach or instill it in other people that sadly may lack it? Well, I think it comes from two places. I think the first comes from, and it's, it's certainly not your identity, but knowing yourself gives you confidence to sell your ideas. And if you don't know yourself, you might have a good idea and not know yourself. And, and that first principle of, of being original, that's a bad combination. So your identity, who you are, that's very important. Not that the idea is going to work, but it's foundational in how you apply that to selling your idea or to creating a company or being successful. So you have to really know who you are as a person and where you draw inspiration what makes you unique, what your values are. You have to know all of that stuff. Can we, can we dig deeper into that? Because yeah, I think sure. that this whole idea of like, know thyself, it sounds nice, yeah. but like yeah. in your words, what do you really mean when you say know yourself? Well, I think when you know yourself, you really know what your, what, how you want to live your life, what your values are, what your beliefs are, what you, how you're going to interact with other people in the world around you. And then where where you're coming from what are your what are the things that interest you what are your interests what do you love what do you not love what are stories that touch you what music do you like what entertainment do you like what's what sparks you what gets you excited uh what are your idiosyncrasies where do you draw inspiration it's all those elements put together that make you the person that you are it may it, it makes you jeff it makes me jason you know it makes her Betty. It's, it's knowing going inward to really understand how to express that outwardly. And you talked about, you know, that's one of your values in your business is people bringing their whole selves to work. That's embodied in the weird value, right? Which I I think a lot of knowing yourself, I think there's another level of knowing yourself, which is coming to terms with, with what you discover as you get to know yourself, making peace with it. Even dare I say, learning to have agape love for yourself, not romantic love for yourself, which I think would be like narcissism, but agape empathy for those parts of yourself that you discover on that journey. So I'm curious if we can go even deeper with this, 
how did you get to know yourself in this way? And secondly, um, what do you think are the outward signs of a person that has done the work to know themselves? Oh, that's a really good question about the outward signs. But what, you know, I, I really did it through, uh, you know, personal, personal growth, writing down stories, understanding my narrative, where I came from, how I was raised, what my blind spots are, uh, what I need to work on. Did you encounter some ugly messiness? Oh yeah. A ton. I've done, uh, tons of therapy. I mean, therapy is one really good way to I'm like I'm like the world's like biggest advocate for therapy so you just made my day. I mean therapy is uh, a critical component on sort of the expert level of getting to know yourself. Yeah. You know like it's like the next rung up. But um I did uh a lot of individual therapy. I've also done a lot of group therapy and group therapy doesn't have to be you know group therapy for drug addiction or survivors. It can be certainly, but it can also be group therapy where you're talking once a week to a group of strangers and talking about things in your life. And and that shows you, it's almost like research for yourself. It shows you how other people you don't know perceive you, how yes. you come across, yes. how, how you look, to the outside world that you might not, you might think you look a certain way when a group of strangers tells you how they, how, how they feel when you're talking. Yeah. I, I did, I did two out. years of group every week for two years straight. I'm yeah. so with you, man. It was probably even more developmentally essential than the, the individual therapy I did. I think it is. I think it is more important. I mean, I think, you know, I started with individual therapy and then moved to group therapy and uh, I, did, I did two different groups and you really understand, all right, this is an area that I want to work on, or this is how I'm coming across where I don't want to come across that mm -hmm. way. And so that was, that was fundamental for me, but I don't think even, I believe in therapy. I believe in, in really d going deep. I, it doesn't even have to be that far for people to start. You know, I think they, they just really have to identify there's so many people that don't even know the values that they want to live up to. You know, they might have it in their mind or they might think they know. I'm a big proponent in putting things to paper and writing them down and having a filter for how you want to go through life and having a life code. I think that's an important step. And then your other question of, uh, I think it was the outward signs. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, really critical, by the way, when you're trying to hire into a culture, you know, which part outward signs or yeah. Being able to detect, you know, having a sniff test for like, is this person really know themselves? Yeah. I mean, I always ask like whenever I interview people, I obviously want to know if they're proficient and what their skills are and what's the best thing they worked on and how did they manage through a problem and all those things. But then I also ask, you know, what would you, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Mm -hmm. You know, who's someone in your life, do you have a life mantra or motto that you live by? Do you have, you know, I always ask questions outside of that to dig a little bit deeper uh, on that aspect, but um, yeah. 
I forgot what where we. Oh, are. it was you're, yeah. What I do you feel like are the outward <laughs> the outward signs? And by the way, that's is this is great. That's a good stick, a good sign. It means we're going places. But yeah, what, what what? How do you size somebody up? Like this person has gone deep with themselves, and 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 overcome their initial recoil to actually make peace with it and and make friends with it, so they can bring their whole selves into the work. You know, I want to I want to hear someone tell me when they screwed up what mistake they made and are they vulnerable enough to share that mm-hmm. what went wrong what 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 is what where they screw up because you know so many interviews are everything's perfect and i'm the hardest worker and i'm the best person because they're telling you what you think what they think you want to hear which is not what you want to hear you want to hear that someone can be authentic and vulnerable and i you know i talk about if I'm having a bad day, I'll talk about that with people that I work with. I don't, you know, I used to lead, uh, by the way, a lot of the stuff I had to learn, like yeah. stuff I put in the book, I wasn't naturally a generous person. I was actually the opposite. I was a selfish, controlling person who, you know, did that, not that's sh- cool. You can own that though. Yeah. I didn't share my uh, contacts with people. I wouldn't recommend other people. <laughs> Were you an only child, child by chance? I was not. No, I wasn't. Oh, I, I'm an only child. So that's that's how I ex- excused it for a long time. So. Uh, OK, yeah, no, I, I wasn't. I um, I I kind of thought business and life was like a zero sum game. Yeah. Where, you know, and and I, you know, had to realize that by broadening your network, by helping out other people, by being generous as a person, by giving people advice and counsel and helping other people out. That's where the the success comes from. You know, that that puts you in another another stratosphere because you're widening your your network and you're widening your influence and persuasion. And so I had to learn those skills. Those were not innate to me. You know, like uh, there's there's certain principles that we talked about. People might already have those, but certain ones they're going to have to work at and practice. So they become habits. Um, And so, yeah, I I. Uh, but back to your question on, I think we all, we have really good bullshit detectors as people. And we know when somebody isn't being authentic and genuine. And when you ask hard questions, you want people to be vulnerable. You want to see really who they are. And when people are vulnerable and you're vulnerable, you're going to connect on a whole different level. And you're going to, you know, just like this conversation, we're opening up all kinds of discussion points that if I just came on here and told you how amazing my company was and the book's incredible. And I didn't have like a lot of learning to do and I didn't go to therapy. Uh, that's a stilted conversation. That's not real. And it's the same way when you're, when you're looking at people that you want to partner with and clients you want to work with and people you want to hire. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I taught, I actually had an Instagram reel just in the last few days that talked about vulnerability as an essential business skill and how, when you, you know, the, the, the root word vulnus is the Latin word for, for wound, right? So vulnerability is the ability to be wounded. And that when you, when you bring that into a group, you, you, you actually create safety because you, you sort of imply to the group, I am making myself woundable here. Therefore, this must be a safe environment, Right. And then you create that permission for other people to be vulnerable. But I think that a lot of times people sort of think of vulnerability as 
like there's a chicken and the egg question, like, well, once I'm successful, then it'll be charming for me to also be vulnerable. It's like, oh, I never expected Steven Spielberg to let me see his inner child or something. But they're like, but I need to get successful first. Because if I, if I allow myself to be woundable while I am also weak, then I'll just get squashed, right? And I, and I want to I want to call out that fallacy of people that think I'll be vulnerable when that yeah. you're, what you're saying is that that, that innate ability, or, or actually it's not innate. I don't think it's innate for anybody that learned ability, that intentional developed ability to be vulnerable now is a precursor to the success that you might in your own mind think that you're waiting on as a precursor to being vulnerable. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. It, you you need to develop it now. Yeah, you need to be vulnerable today, not when you're successful. That vulnerability will allow you to be successful. And when I was a leader in the company, I'm a much stronger leader now by being vulnerable and saying, "This was a mistake. I screwed up. Hey, we're launching this thing. I'm not sure it's going to work. We're going to give it a shot." Um, I'm hey, I'm taking a mental health day because I'm not yeah. feeling it today. You have to show other people by leading that way, and then they'll feel safe and comfortable in, in being the same. And then you're going to have uh, employees and people and clients that are connected, more connected, more real, and your relationships are going to be stronger. One other thing uh, I just wanted to kind of touch on is to be successful, you got to know yourself know your blind spots, know who you are, be yourself. We, we kind of covered that. Also, you have to be skilled at whatever you're building or offering. Yes. Like you can't just start something you know, because you feel like you know yourself and you're interested in this other, this area. So you're going right. to start something. You have to really be proficient and put in the time to become an expert in that craft and then, then put those two things together to be successful. But you can't kind of do that. There's not there's not a shortcut to yeah. learning whatever craft there is or whatever you want to build. You don't have to know everything and you don't have to know how to run a business because no one that started a business knows how to run a business because right. they didn't do it before. Right. You know, but you have to know your craft. And there's no learning laboratory for running a business. It's like you literally can only learn it by doing it. It's like and, golf or something. And if you're learning the skill you're selling and how to run a business yeah. at the same time, there's no way you can do that. You got to be comfortable with the skill, comfortable with yourself. Then you can be vulnerable to, to fail and succeed and, you know, all the ups and downs of running a business. When, I, handle it. when I started this, what, the social media content crusade that grew into Entra, the very first post I made on Instagram was one of, if not my all-time favorite quotes, which is by Jim Rohn, who said, basically, stop wishing it were easier. Just wish you were better. I love that. I love that quote. And that's kind of what you're saying is like, you know, if you get good enough, it'll work. Most things will work if you're good enough at them. I agree. Um, Jason, listen, man, I I actually genuinely deeply do not want to end this conversation, but (laughs) unfortunately have to, because we've not only blasted through the 15 minute cushion I had before my next meeting, but now seven minutes into that meeting. (laughs) And I did send him a note saying, I'm having a great conversation. I'll be there when I can. But, uh, Man, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, 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 like I said at the beginning, I feel like we're so aligned on so many things. Your, your success is not at all a surprise to me. 
Um, and I appreciate you, you so airing much. so much of, of it out for the audience here. This has been really wonderful. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And of course, to all you viewers and listeners out there, as I tell you every time, you're the best part of this show. You're why I do what I do every single day. I'm so grateful we got to spend this time together and I can't wait to see you the next time. Take care. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in, check out this podcast and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.